one on a Tuesday, a big band Tuesday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Finally, Halford and Bruff are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Speaking of the Kintech studios, the renovations are underway. Big development overnight, Jason. We got new TVs. Uh, the TVs do not seem to work yet, though. Key part to the whole thing, the TVs are not working, but they're mm. here. They're here in spirit, just not in. They're just props. They don't actually Effort and ability, are they? Yeah. They're just empty. They <laughs> yeah, no they're wi- cardboard. No wires, no plugs, they no look, holes. They look so good with the orange extension cords coming out of them. <laughs> we is, need to work on that. This is why we're not recording today. <laughs> uh, let's go to the phone lines now. We're very happy to be joined by our next guest. First-time guest on the Halford & Bruff Show, the starting quarterback for your BC Lions, Vernon Adams Jr. here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Vernon. How are you? Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Uh, we're good. We must be doing maybe as well as you are. It was a big win over the weekend. Uh, your first start with the BC Lions at quarterback, a win against a Western foe in Calgary. Uh, walk us through the lead up and then to the game because I got to imagine it's difficult coming to a new team midseason, trying to learn everything that comes with being a starting quarterback, getting that start, and then getting a very big win in Calgary. Walk us through it, Vernon. Yeah, man. Uh, just like you say, I got here about two weeks ago and just uh, just been trying really hard to, you know, study, study plays and learn the concepts and learn everything here. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I did it by myself, man. The, the, the QBs, man, all of them, Nate, um, Piff, uh, O'Connor, even Kevin, when he was there, they were all helping me uh, to get caught up. So um, hats off to those guys, man, and I appreciate them. And, and it's just been, it's been, been crazy, but um, definitely a great team win, and um, yeah, just excited to keep this thing going. Uh, and now you guys get the Stampeders again. Uh, is it safe to say that in the Lions locker room, the Stampeders are not the most popular team? Yeah, hmm. um, but uh, you know, shoot, we just we just want to win, man. We want to want to get this win again this week, and hopefully, we we'll get the sweep on the season, and um, just keep getting better each week. You know, that's it. Vernon, what exactly happened both after the game and then in the parking lot in Calgary? Because there were various reports. Uh, I know that there was an altercation with Lucky Whitehead, but it seemed as though we were getting sort of second and third hand information and people tweeting things out. What exactly went down and how bad is the feud between you and the Stampeders now? Yeah, I, w- I didn't even see it. You know, I didn't see it and I don't know exactly what happened. So I don't, um, you know, want to comment on that um, in the parking lot. We were just sitting there waiting on our bus, so uh, I didn't see any TV altercations either. So, um, yeah, that, that's all I can say about that. Okay, we'll, we'll try not to get you into trouble in your second <laughs> week with the BC Lions. Um, Vernon, how does it feel to get this opportunity with the BC Lions? And, and are you feeling the pressure coming into a situation like this one where there was a star quarterback that – the city was very excited about the team was playing very well. The star quarterback gets hurt and now it's up to you to help salvage the season. 
well, it's not up to me. It's up to the whole team. We got to do it together, you know. Um, there is pressure, but, you know, pressure is a privilege. And um, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, you know, get out there and, and just help this team. And we just want to win one game at a time. And uh, I want to show the fans that, you know, I'm not Nathan, but I, I want to come in here and I want to help, um, you know, just try to keep this thing going. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to do my best to do that. I'm going to work hard for it. And, yeah, that's it, really. What do you think about the stable of receivers that you've got to throw the ball to? Oh, man, those guys are legit, man. Um, nothing against my guys in Montreal either. Those, my, my, those guys are legit, too. But these guys, they're all playmakers as well. Um, they go up and get the ball. They have fun at practice. They're, they're, none of them are selfish. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's just. And the best thing about these guys, too, they're great blockers downfield. Like, man, I mean, you got receivers that are, are playmakers that, you know, that we know they can all do that stuff, but they as well be a great blocker for whoever's running the ball, man. That, that's, just, that's just amazing, man. So uh, these guys are awesome, and I'm happy to be here with them. Can you can you help the listeners know what it's like to join a team as a quarterback halfway through the season where you don't have a training camp, you don't have any preseason games? It's just kind of like, all right, here you go. Yeah, you know, um, you could get thrown into some tough situations. Um, but like I said, the QBs on the offensive coaching staff, man, they all just done a great job of just explaining everything to me and trying to um, – make it a little bit more simple, but they're still just calling how they're calling it. And uh, Jordan's a great OC, man, and he helps me understand the game. And um, I'm just blessed to be in this situation, man. All the guys have just been helping me. And it is tough, but I'm a pro too, you know what I'm saying? I, I've been a pro for about seven years now, so um, I just, just got to pick it up. That's part of the game, right? We're speaking with Vernon Adams, Jr., the new starting quarterback for the BC Lions. So, Vernon, you spent three seasons at Eastern Washington, then one with the Oregon Ducks, and that would have been an Oregon team that would have had national title hopes. What was it like going from uh, a smaller program, let's call it a smaller program at Eastern Washington, to such a high-profile school like Oregon that had those expectations? Man, it was it was fun, man. That was a great experience going from Eastern Washington to Oregon. Uh, Oregon always been my dream school, and um, we accomplished a lot at Eastern as a team with Cooper Cup, Kendrick Bourne, those guys. And uh, I just felt if I had any opportunity at the NFL, I felt like if I if I moved up and play on TV more and play at a higher level of competition, that I w- I would get that opportunity. And I think we went nine and four. Um, I broke my finger in the first game of the season, but uh, man, that was just such a, a fun opportunity, great learning lesson. Uh, I'm I'm glad you know I, I did that. Did you think Cooper Cup was going to have such a such a great career in the NFL? Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> I did because I've seen it from the jump. I've seen him. I've seen him work every all three years I played with him, or the two years I played with him. Um, but all of his college career. He averaged over 15 touchdowns, 1,500 yards every single year. So I knew. And every time we played the back 12 schools or the big schools, he averaged over 275 yards receiving and at least two or three touchdowns. Uh, Autzen Stadium or Husky Stadium? Which stadium is louder? Ah, uh, man. 
that's a close one because I'm not going to lie. UW Stadium is so loud. It's so loud. But, you know, Austin gets crazy too, but I don't hear it as much only when we're out on defense. You know what I'm saying? And I'm on the sideline. But at UW, I'm on offense, so I'm really hearing it. I'm really hearing the noise. So um, I'm going Oregon. Is it a little bit odd going from like you had that season at Oregon's where you're st- you're you're playing in these these in front of big crowds you know Husky Stadium's seventy thousand Autzen Stadium sixty thousand sold out I think you had a game at Michigan State as well um, is it a little bit odd going from that scenario and I'm not saying you're playing in front of like friends and family in the CFL but it is a different environment there there are smaller crowds. Yeah, but, you know, at Eastern Washington, we played in smaller crowds, you know, so, and I played at Eastern Washington for three years, so I'm kind of used to it, you know, um, but it is awesome that I played that one year at, the, at at Oregon because I did experience the 50, 70, you know, uh, uh, I think Michigan State might have been 90 plus, you know, so, um, you know, it, it's cool. So when you go to Saskatchewan or, or, or Winnipeg, you know, you're not too rattled because, you know, you, you played through that already. We're speaking to BC Lions quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, this weekend, Vernon, it's right back at it against Calgary. What are some of the challenges that come with playing somebody back-to-back like this? It's obviously a unique wrinkle. You don't get in a lot of different leagues, but you've got it in the CFL. Uh, I imagine that there's a lot of tape and recency because it's right there from a few days ago. And there's always the adjustments factor. So what are some of the challenges of playing an opponent back-to-back like this? I think the, the biggest challenges are, you know, you, you have to look at what you did good, but then um, you have to look what the opposing team did good too because then you probably want to think like maybe they want to go that route, you know, with what they've done good. And, and you know, there's going to be changes, you know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, like, you're going to watch your film and um, – and you just got to trust your training. You got to trust your training, trust the process. When you get out there on the field, trust your reads. And that's what I want to do a better job this week. I had a few completions, incompletions there in the game where I could have just checked it down to the back or got to my first read, but I just got a little, uh, got a little antsy and, and, you know, just did my own thing. So um, I want to do a better job this week of just trusting it, trusting what I see and just getting the ball to the playmakers as quick as possible and let them do the rest. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, when Nathan was in, uh, a big po- proponent of that passing game was the the quick release, quick strike, get it into playmakers' hands. You alluded earlier to how great that receiver's room is. How big a part of without giving away any trade secrets here, how big a part of that is that Lions offense where you get the ball out quickly, don't hang on to it, don't get yourself in second and longs, and try and get the ball into the hands of playmakers as fast as possible. Yeah, you know, um, I think we got a good mixture of both. You know, uh, like I said, our OC Jordan, he just he does a great job. He has a great feel for the game, for the game flow, and he calls the right things at the right time. And um, if that play requires me to get it out quick, then I'll get it out quick. If it's more of a drop back, then drop back. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's in the middle, I guess. Uh, Vernon, thanks for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Best of luck against Calgary this weekend, and congrats on the first win. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, guys. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. That's Vernon Adams Jr., the new starting quarterback for the BC Lions. Lions in the rematch against Calgary on the weekend. I had no idea. I guess I should have. 
given that their times overlapped at EW. Right. But uh, him and Cooper Cup were college teammates. Cooper Cup, of course, the reigning offensive player of the year and Super Bowl MVP, decent year for him. He also replaced Marcus Mariota mm-hmm. at um, at Oregon, and Mariota was a god at, at uh, for the Ducks when he played there. Um, the BC Lions winning that game in Calgary for me, like I, I have to admit, I was. And I said this last last week. I was gutted to use a soccer term about mm-hmm. the Lions season. It just looked like it was going to come in with such a roar and leave with leave on such a whimper, right? Yeah. And the and the fact that they were able to go in to Calgary and, and I realized that that a lot of it was the rushing game that helped them certainly offensively, um, but the fact that Vernon Adams looked solid out there. Yep, he really did. You I mean, know, solid's and, a perfect and, word for it, and, and and probably has some room to grow considering he's still getting used to his teammates. Um, he's still getting used to the situation. Uh, this game Saturday now against against the Calgary Stampeders, it, I think I think I, I was probably like like you and a lot of fans that were just looking at the situation and going, well, that was fun for half a season, and now it's gone. Well, it's interesting because when they made the deal. And gave up some pretty big draft capital, first-round pick to get Adams Jr. There had to be a belief, and at least that's what we got the impression from the media side of things, that this season was worth salvaging. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because some people could look at it and say, Rourke's done. We're done. Yeah. This team's just not good enough to compete. But kudos to whoever identified Adams as a target that they could land and bring in. And you look at that blueprint against, again, Calgary's not Winnipeg. It's a different beast if you're going to be and have aspirations of winning the Grey Cup. But Calgary's a good team, mm-hmm. That's and they're, they're battling for second in the West. They went in. Adams basically didn't do anything spectacular, but didn't shoot them in the foot at all. Didn't throw for any touchdowns, didn't run for any touchdowns, but also didn't fumble and didn't get picked off. Yeah. Collectively, he went for 300, more than 300 yards combined. He went 290 in the air. He went for 30 on the ground, right? Roughly... 330 yards. We'll take that every game. Especially on the road where you get a win against a team you're battling for in second place. You're firmly, firmly a contender at that point. You're not the leading contender, but you can play. And that's what we were talking about salvaging the season because what we saw in the two games after Rourke got hurt was this ain't going to do it. Pipkin can't do it. O'Connor can't do it. The team just didn't look like it had the belief that they were good enough with those guys behind center. Adams gives you something. And I do wonder if they will start to implement more where he can do things with his feet, because that's where he's really mm-hmm. electrifying. Is he's he's a guy that can move. Not that Rourke couldn't. Rourke was very oh, good on Rourke the ground could, as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. But Adams does give you an escapability and gives you an ability to extend plays. Now, oddly enough, the more extended plays got against Calgary, those were the, some of the worst downs that the Lions had. Yeah. They really had success when they got the ball out early. I didn't realize this about Rourke until reading and doing some research and everything. But one of the things that made him so um, untouchable this year was he's got a crazy quick release and pinpoint accuracy on those that a lot of guys in the CFL don't. And they actually said, it's you can't really compare what Adams does in that regard to what Rourke does. Cause Rourke does it almost better than anybody in the CFL. But mm-hmm. you know, it, the keys are going to be get the ball into the wide receivers hands, let guys make plays, don't turn the ball over and let's see if we can keep the season <laughs> Move going. Move the puck. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, and that, and that's it. And then punt if you have to, right? But don't turn the ball over. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend. Uh, he didn't give us much on the fight, by the way. We didn't get a lot of analysis no. on the scrap. Can you imagine if he came in and just, like, 
spilled all the beans. The frame like, by frame breakdown. Was I, I not supposed a, to say that? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I got a video of it on my phone. I'll just tell I'll you just guys. I'll maybe it text like. it to you. Yeah. yeah. So all we know is that Lucky Whitehead allegedly got sucker punched after the game. That was on the field. And then there was a parking lot altercation. But we don't know a lot of the details. We do know that the CFL is investigating. I imagine we'll probably hear something on this before the two teams play again this weekend. Uh, let's get into some audio from uh, the Jake Milford golf tournament yesterday. I know Sportsnet 650 was out there. Um, we weren't because it was too early, but uh, Randeep and Bick were out there, and they spoke with Bruce Boudreaux, uh, the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, guys, what good audio do we have from Bruce Boudreaux? I don't really want to discuss wrestling I know uh-huh. Bit got into wrestling with Why not? Bruce okay, I'll need Boudreau. a minute because all my clips were wrestling. Sorry. This was a wrestling-specific interview. <laughs> this, oh, it was only about yeah, wrestling? Yeah. yeah. It was like, yeah. oh, and also, is Quinn Hughes going to play the right side? Bruce Boudreaux is going to wear a luchador mask for the first few games of the season. That was the big reveal yesterday. That man loves his wrestling. He does. I don't know exactly what was going on with – as far as I understand it, there's there's a WWE event coming to Vancouver. Okay. And that's See, what, now we're talking was, about yeah, it. Yeah, that was the big jumping off point for that. Anyway, the things yeah, that... Yeah, Bruce, Bruce actually has to miss one of the Canucks games. It's, it's in his contract. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's managing ringside. That's what was holding it up. Yeah. Um, I Okay, so the, the things, the takeaways when it comes to the overarching point for our show was culture. How are they setting culture? How are they setting the tone? Patrick Alvine in his exit interviews uh, at the tail end of last season reportedly challenged a lot of the guys to improve the culture of a team that had no winning success, had missed the playoffs six of the last seven years. So it came hand-in-hand. Culture equals winning. Maybe they are synonymous, whatever. Boudreaux's the guy that's going to be tasked right from the get about setting that culture as it pertains to how training camp is going to unfold, how they're going to approach their business, what the coaching staff is going to implement, the penalty kill with the power play, what kind of differences are we going to see from the blue line with regards to breakouts? So we've taken three clips here from Boudreaux yesterday. This is appearing with Bick and Randeep yesterday right here on Sportsnet 650 talking about working with the coaching staff, how much work they're putting in, what their plans are, and what their approach is going to be because training camp gets underway in just a few days from Whistler. Here's Bruce Boudreaux. The most fun part is putting lines together all summer long. You must have, I must have had 4,000 different combinations. But, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, lot of, a lot of fun being able to get in here with your coaching staff, put the clips together that you want to show in training camp, get the camp going, get, get it started, and getting everybody on the same page as, as we move along. We've been together for three weeks now every day. We, we're working from 7.30, 4 o'clock. We've done a lot of great, had a lot of great ideas, a lot of, we've spent an awful lot of time together, and I think we're all on the same page. We look forward to mo- moving forward and, and uh, having a good camp. they got to show up in shape. I mean, it, it'll, you'll be able to tell that after day one, but I mean, um, I have no, they've been skating as a team for the last two to three weeks, mm-hmm. and, and they work out every day. So, I mean, it's not like 1972, let's, get into shape let's put a green garbage bag through us so we can sweat more and get the beer out of us you know that's not the the case anymore these guys it's a full-time job and it's a year-round job so i'm not too worried about conditioning bruce boudreau of course was talking about the players in that last clip not the coaches the coaches are not skating around with green garbage bags on the coaches as a matter of fact and we haven't really talked about this because there's been so many other stories going on but with culture and chemistry and building something 
Uh, these guys are largely starting from scratch together. Like the last three weeks, yeah. remember Mike Yo That's got true. brought aboard uh, without any sort of tangible relationship to the organization aside from Boudreaux. They knew each other. Trent Cole gets the call up from Utica. Jason King remains, but that's a group that's never worked together before, mm-hmm. right? So you need to go through a lot of things. You don't have the sort of hand-in-glove comfort or old pair of slippers mentality with a coaching staff that knows each other's routines that's and a their really approaches good point. and their philosophies and yeah. everything, right? They've got a lot that they need to identify. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we as a coaching staff? And then what are we going to do and how are we going to implement our messages to the players? Who is my right-hand man? Exactly. And I imagine that Yo's going to be a pretty big part of this just because of the experience factor. Yeah. Like, he, all due respect to Cull and to King, but Mike Yo's got a very lengthy resume. Mm-hmm. He's, he's coached in a lot of different markets. He's been an NHL head coach before, um, by all accounts. And we had him on the show, and I found him very pleasant to talk to. But also, uh, he seems to have a reputation as a guy that a lot of coaches want to work with. I think this is why he continues to get all of these gigs. So that's going to be interesting as well. Now, as it pertains to the trickle-down effect, what it means for the players, well, what's the number one talking point whenever we come into training camp? It was notorious under Travis Green. I don't think it'll be as notorious under these guys, but there's always the, you know, these guys came into the best shape, came into camp in the best shape of their life, and they're ready to take the fitness tests, and we got to do the grouse grind and the beep test and the bike test and then the bag skate. Yeah, I think it'll be different under Boudreaux. I think just because they don't want it to be the same as it was under Green, but that's going to be a big part of it for sure. For me, the biggest part of the culture, and it's funny because for me, it's not going to be the head coach. It's not going to be the captain. It's not going to be the veteran that they just signed to a big contract in JT Miller. It's going to be Pedersen and Hughes. Yep. Because those guys have kind of graduated from being the kids who are, you know, like young and still getting used to the NHL to, all right, you've had your growing up time in the NHL now, Mm -hmm. right? You've gone through some tough times. Pedersen last season, Quinn Hughes the season before, his struggles defensively in his own end, which he took quite personally. Yep. Um, and this is going to be the time now where Hughes and Pedersen shouldn't arrive in training camp all, you know, like, like have the attitude of, yeah, I'm a good player, but I don't have to be a leader, right? Like, I don't, that, that's, up to the, that's up to other guys. It's up to them now because we all know that Quinn Hughes is the best defenseman. Mm-hmm. And Elias Pedersen, if he plays up to his potential, has the potential to be the best forward in that group. Yeah, It'll be tough to Eclipse because there are some good forwards, but I think we can all agree. Well, maybe not all of us, but I think that Elias Pettersson has the potential to be the best forward on the Canucks. So let's show it, and then let's also hand that standard down to the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean, we played the audio from Quinn Hughes where he met with Freege and Merrick on the 32 Thoughts podcast last week at that NHL media car wash tour thing they did. We can play it on the other side because we're up against it for time, but I think it's worth mentioning it's very obvious that they've challenged Hughes to do more, to be more, to be excellent in every facet. And I think that probably, without being said out loud, was maybe like your professionalism, your leadership, like yeah. the areas where... How you carry yourself yeah, and, on and off the ice. and it, Mostly off the ice, I would say, because he carries himself already pretty well on the ice. And that stuff, does, like I always say, it doesn't matter until it does matter. Yeah. Like it didn't matter when you're in year one and year two and year three because everyone's just excited that you're a really good young defenseman. Mm-hmm. But then there's that evolution where, okay, 
you are going to need to be more. You're going to need to do more because you're not the best defenseman in the NHL. If you are, then we can say, you know what? We don't need to ask any more of you. Yeah. You're the best of your position. Congratulations. You've done it. I, I, I can't get over how happy I was to hear Patrick Alvine tell IMAC that the bar needs to be raised. Yep. I think for, for too long in Vancouver, we were looking for, looking for positives, and it was natural, right? The team wasn't very good. We were looking for hope. But I think you start to forget um, what it takes to be a Stanley Cup contender. And I've tried to keep reminding of that 2011 team that had the goalie was constantly in the Vesna conversation. You had a couple of Sedins that were Art Ross, Hart Trophy. You had Ryan Kessler was Selkie, right? Those are major, major awards. You had a head coach that was a, that was a coach of the year candidate, uh-huh. right? Like that's the They didn't even get it done, right? Like they didn't even win the they Stanley didn't. Cup. They didn't? But, but, but they were a good team, and that, that's the bar that the Canucks need to get to. So when we sit there and say, like, you know, like Quinn Hughes has, has to take his game to another level. And right. Elias Pettersson has to take his game to another level. Mm-hmm. And Thatcher Demko needs to be in that Vezina conversation. It's not because we have unrealistic expectations. It's because that's what it takes. We'll continue this conversation on the other side. We'll play some audio from Quinn Hughes from Elias Pettersson as the Connects week continues. Uh, a reminder, it's basically physicals and physical testing on Wednesday, Thursday. Camp up in Whistler, and then on Sunday, you get your first preseason game. So hockey is on the horizon. It's just about to start, and we are excited about it. We'll continue to talk about it on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Keep it on the dial. Halford at Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Tuesday, happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. All right. Jamming out here on a big band Tuesday. Talking Canucks. Just a handful of days away from the start of training camp. Then the start of the preseason. Hockey is back in a major way. Now, yesterday was the Milford. The MILF, as they call it. Oh, no. They don't call it that. <laughs> I, I think they do. I got the MILF. Just going to... Their marketing team is like, why do people not like this? I don't understand. <laughs> ah, great. yes. An annual event. The MILF. No, the Jake Milford Golf Tournament. That's the unofficial kickoff to all of this. The young guys come back from young stars, and the vets go and play a round of golf and meet with the media, and then everything gets underway. Apparently, bike testing is already underway, in case you're wondering about that. They actually had to ride their bikes to the MILF. That was it. Bike to the MILF. So we are calling it the MILF. 
It's going to stick. I don't know. It might be one of those things that doesn't Until we last. get told not to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Please you guys stop not? calling it that. Yeah. Could you call it anything other than that? Call it the Ford. <laughs> okay. Uh, we talked about Quinn Hughes a lot in the previous segment. I don't want to overstate the importance of him to the team and this year to him, but I feel as though we are on the precipice of something very interesting at play here. One, very clear that they've challenged him to do more, to be more than just this. And uh, again, tremendous defenseman, best defenseman on the team, highest scoring defenseman in club history. It's almost comical that they'll be like, can you do more for us there, Quinn? And he's like, yeah, I could probably do some other things. But the reality is, is when you go around the NHL, uh, there is a certain bar, and we talked about setting the bar and where it needs to be, of what the elite defensemen, the best defensemen in the game are and who they are. And then the conversation starts with Kale McCarr, and then you go from there. This would be the year that Hughes legitimately enters that conversation if he's able to achieve and attain all the things and all the goals that have been put in front of him. So, for example, one of the things that he dropped with Fridge and Merrick last week on the 32 Thoughts podcast, I thought it was really interesting, was that he was handed a statistic where they said, look at Roman Yossi's shot total from last year. He took 100 more shots on goal than you did. Yeah. And Hughes said that kind of blew his mind a little bit. He's just going to be forcing pucks I, uh, from the blue yeah. line. That wasn't the shot. Five I, on three, Quinn Hughes risks one on net. I mean, here's the thing. You look at the goal total last year, and he was at eight. There were three defensemen in the NHL that had 20-plus, and those guys are kind of the three, the big three. It's McCarr, yeah. Yossi, and Hedman. I think the understanding there is you probably have more opportunities. Like Hughes does not have an electrifying shot. No. However, one thing he is good at is walking the blue line and getting pucks mm-hmm. on net. doesn't have to be a, a complete howitzer. But I do wonder if they look at that and say, here is a specific area of your game where we think that you can do more. And I would then say they go fi- from there. I, I would hope five on five, actually, more than the power play. Because yeah. sure, I'm not sure I want Quinn Hughes as thinking – like shot, 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 shot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm not the coach of the Canucks, but you know, walking the blue line, yeah, it opens up shooting lanes. You know what else it does? It opens up passing lanes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you've got some really good snipers on the Canucks power play. Yeah. Um. I I think your whole point is just that the Canucks expect Quinn Hughes to grow into just grow, I yeah. guess. Not not physically, but more in, into a more mature player, and 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 it, and it's funny because he's only twenty two still. You know who's older than him? Jack Rathbone. Yeah, right. Which yeah, is kind yeah. of a funny dynamic, but I would also think that Quinn Hughes is probably going to be, or the Canucks would like him to be a role model for Jack Rathbone, who's trying to make it into the NHL, mm-hmm. and has some of the similar attributes to Quinn Hughes. Uh, as a player, um, when young players and the Canucks are going to hopefully find some more young players over the years, walk into a dressing room and see the likes of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, they should be impressed at how they carry themselves. And isn't that what so many people said about the Sedins? Mm-hmm. How many times do you think we heard, whether it's a player, young, old, Coach, general manager, whoever, even opponent, said the most impressive thing about the Sedins is how they carry themselves, how they go about things every day. 
And culture is not about making a big speech every once in a while that rallies the troops. It is about setting expectations for how you go about things on a day-to-day basis. I'm almost sounding like Torts here because remember Torts was like, you know, he would use like that phrase like how we go about our business. Mm -hmm. And it was such a Torts thing, but it's also so true. It 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 it, it kind of reminds me of um, it's weird, but remember the chat we had about the BC Lions about how they're going to get back into um, a big part of the market. It, it it's not going to be having that big concert in week one and right. getting like it's going to just be every day you do things, mm-hmm. and it starts with winning, but it also starts with marketing. It starts with getting out in the community. It's a consistency of effort. It's a consistency of expectations. And I think when we talk to the veteran players or the players that were on those good 2011 teams, they said there was just an expectation that we, we like about how we did things. And if we lost a game, we didn't go out at night. Right. Right. They were pissed Be- off because we were upset mm-hmm. and we didn't feel like going out at night. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't one of those things where we we're like, well, ah, we lost again, whatever. Right, you and know, that, well, it was that, like that. We had a we had a big goal in mind, mm-hmm. and that's the off ice part of culture. It's a big part of it, right? I mean, you talk to the, and it doesn't look the same for every team. I think we should point that out. Right? There's teams that uh, maybe there, you know, there was an accountability where after a game, they all did go out, but then if one of them showed up in the morning and was dogging it, that's when the lesson would be. Like it, it comes in different forms. The idea is though is that uh, there's a handful of guys who either through personality or ability, are the bar setters. And it has to be that way. You can't be your team's best player and then take a step back and say, well, I'm not going to be the one that's going to be a leader here. It's foisted upon you. It's one of the great boulders of responsibility when you're a great player, right? Great power, great responsibility. And it's how you address it and approach it that's the important thing. Now, here's a tiny thing with Hughes that could end up being a pretty significant thing. The sw- playing the right side of the defense. It's not so much from an X's and O's thing. If you want to take it in the way of, you know, being a culture setter and setting the tone, um, I think Hughes is pretty cognizant of the fact that the Canucks' right side of the defense is a little weak. Maybe he's listened to this show. We tend to talk about it from time to time, <laughs> right? He went to management and to the coaching staff and put the ask out there, get me some reps on the right side. I think I can do this. He worked on it in the summer a little bit. Small thing, but a big addition in terms of I'm willing to help out the team. I want to make this team better. I, you know, If we can't go and find a right-sided defenseman, I'll go be the right-sided yeah. defenseman. A little thing could be a big thing. We got the audio here. I think we spliced a couple clips together. Again, all the talk about Hughes going to the right side. Here might be the most important part of it is that he was the one that offered it up. Yeah, for me, I just think that um, it's good to know how to do both. And uh, I think that it gives the coaching staff another option if they want to use me on the right side in the O zone or wherever it might be. It started off not as uh, playing right, but just like if I wanted to play in the O zone for a shift here with O, that I could play right. And um, I think that I started to work in the summer on some uh, different packages, and I think there's more things I can do offensively on the blue line on the right side. Sometimes I find myself stationary um, on the left, but what I do know is that uh, Luke Shen was a really good D partner for me last year. He stabilized my game in a lot of ways, and he shuts down the cycle, and um, I know that you know if I'm playing with him this year, I'm going to have a really good year, 
we'll both have good years and if they want to play me on the right side I can do that as well so I know I got um, some really good options and at the end of the day it'll be up to the coaching yeah it's probably tougher in the neutral zone where I'm um, collecting a pass like this and I can't just go up the wall like obviously I'm gonna be on my back end but um, I think in other aspects, um, seeing everything on my forehand, being in the ozone, being able to take a step and take a slap shot, walk into it. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone's seen me on the right side, so they don't know what to expect. I think I could catch some people off guard, but um, we'll see. I'd definitely like to try it out for a couple of exhibition games, but like I said, um, I'm lucky I got really good options in Luke and uh, whoever I would play with on the right side, and, you know, we'll see what happens. When it comes to Luke Shen, I, I think we all like Luke Shen as, as, as a person and, and a player and what he represents. And he's a big part of culture and, and, you know, his willingness to stick up for teammates and his willingness to play a physical game. But I also think we all know that he's, you know, if, he, if he's in your top four, that's probably not ideal. Right. I'd love to see Luke Shen with Jack Rathbone on a third pairing. Right. You know, doesn't that make sense? You get sense? the same mentorship program that Quinn Hughes got. Like, look, Hughes played with him when he broke in. Now it, you get to. Now isn't you get it to just a him. good fit? Yeah, it is. Right? I, yeah. I think, I think. Potentially? I think Shen probably really leans into those ideas too. Right? And like, Dermot, Dermot Myers? Dermot Myers? Is that the second pair? Um, well, depending on Pullman, I mean, Pullman's yeah. Yeah, a wild true. card, right? Pullman's yeah. a big wild card. There's, there's, there's seven defensemen. One of them's going to be an odd man out. Uh, now let's assume and hope that Tucker Pullman's healthy mm-hmm. and he's ready to go. It could possibly start the season with Luke Shen as a healthy scratch. Yeah, right. That's, like that—that that is, that is fully, yep. fully possible. Um, and Bruce Boudreau was talking yesterday about all the different line combinations that he could put together. I'm sure it's the same on defense, right? Yeah, you, you can make a case for uh, like like Hughes. Uh, OEL and Myers are probably not going to be healthy scratches, right? That's a fair assessment. The other four, you know, Travis Dermott, it's not like he's established himself in the NHL as an everyday regular. I mean, there was a reason he was available from Toronto. Yep. Um, And then you've got Pullman, who is a wild card health-wise. But also, there's another guy that doesn't have to be into the in the lineup, even if he's healthy. Of the yeah. three, Shen's my favorite. To be honest, <laughs> I, I, I really like Luke Shen. Oh, yeah. who doesn't like Luke Shen? He's awesome, right? Who does? Okay, well, you know, for what he is, the package yeah. is. Who doesn't awesome. like Luke? Shen? Luke Shen's package is awesome. What he brings, <laughs> I mean, but no, he's got like he's he's redefined himself after being kind of identified as like a first round bust that couldn't play in the NHL. He's found a way to survive in a league that's changed out from under him when a mm-hmm. lot of slow-footed defensemen just went into oblivion. And he's emerged as a guy that all his teammates love. And he's the Canucks' toughest player by like yeah, a quarter and, mile. And, and he can scrap, right? <laughs> Guys, fans especially, are going to love that. And it, But it is an interesting thing, that dynamic of the blue line. They are There's a big bet on Pullman. Because when Rutherford and Boudreaux, I almost want to say they resign themselves to this is the blue line's not going to look any different. They, I'm sure yeah. they tried to address it, but they didn't. Then the pivot became, okay, do we start talking up Pullman as a guy that we think can play top four? And, a, and part of that explanation was almost aided by the fact that they never really got to see what he was like last year. Cause it yeah. was so marred by injury. So it's almost one of those things where it's like, well, we didn't get to see exactly what Pullman was last year, but we think optimistically he could be this. 
that's a big gamble to take because there's no real body of work that suggests he can be a full-fledged, bonafide top-four guy. It's going to fall into the wait-and-see category for us. David in North Van texts in with a question that I really like because I think it brings up a great debate. When the culture debate comes up, I notice that losing is used synonymously with poor culture in the room. You think it's possible. Do you think it's possible to have a good culture on a losing team? No. I think it's possible. I think it's really, 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 really hard, though. I don't. I think it's impossible. I don't think you can I, go and lose more games than you're winning and have a, a good feeling. What if you're a team that's growing and you know there will be losses, but you also see the potential in the team, so you sort of have this belief that yeah, you, I, it'll I disagree. Get I disagree I with Halford. I don't. I, don't, I, don't I wouldn't use the word impossible. Yeah. I think you could have a bunch of guys that all do their jobs, even go the extra mile, and just aren't talented enough to get it done. But I think as it wears on, your ego almost want tries to find a way out. Do you know what I mean? Because is there anything worse than trying really, really hard at something and repeatedly failing? Eventually, sometimes you try and convince yourself, ah, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't the Whatever. winning breed the culture, though, Jason? Once you have the winning, then the culture sort sort falls into place. The chicken and egg chicken type. and yeah, egg thing. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. I, I, and I've and I've often said like the the best the best start for a culture is at the beginning of the season. You walk into the room and you look around the room and you go, wow, we could be good here. Let's try and do something here. The issue I have with it and the reason I say no is because I think losing undermines everything you're trying to do. It's hard to have faith in anything yeah. if the end result is always a big, fat, red L at the end of the night. Right. It's like, we did all these things great. We listened to coach. We executed yeah. the game plan. And we lost 7-1. Like, it's, it's, it becomes yeah. one of those things where it's like, well, what are we even doing here? We must be doing something wrong. Let's switch it up. Right? And again. Let's get wasted. Yeah, exactly. All right. You know what? <laughs> Let's like, go out. Do a lot better small. But that's the thing is that when people say you got to stick to the process and coaches will come in, he's like a, lot of the thing, like a lot of the things that we did tonight. It's because you almost have to take the end result out of the equation sometimes if you're going to believe in what some people consider crap. Some people think all this talk about culture and identity. It's like, you know what your culture is? If you win. Be good. Yeah, be good and win games. That's a good culture. You but know what I, a bad culture uh, is? Lose. Lose hockey games. And it's that simple. But I fully disagree with that because I think you can have a talented group with a bad culture and you'll have a bad team. You can, I think that is fully yeah. possible to have a team on paper that should be good. They don't do the right things. It's like any company, mm -hmm. right? Any business. You can have a great business plan. You can have the people in place to execute that business plan. If none of them are working hard, if none of them are committed, if none of them are sacrificing for the group, then you're not going to have a business. Mm -hmm. uh, someone just texted. This is from Tyler. This is a fair point because I think this is the, 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 the type of team that we're talking about where they're right in that in-between part. Uh, Ottawa, Los Angeles, and the Detroit Red Wings could have good cultures, but they just need time to mature. That's what I'm saying. That's great. Like I, I understand that you need to go through a process. All I'm saying is that losing eats away. Losing just eats away at everything. It eats away at players' psyches, their desire well, to want to go and, and do things and be better. It's like, God, we're losing again. Guys, look what happened to the Canucks. Death uh, marches I, 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 begin I in January. I'm, I'm sure the organization thought, and I hoped at least at the time, when they were having their success in the bubble, I thought that was, and hoped that was going to be a stepping stone. Yeah. Because I thought that in that bubble, even though some of the teams there didn't care as much as the Canucks, I thought the fact that the Canucks did care 
And the fact that they seem to be coming together as a group Mm -hmm. was a sign of things to come, of good things, right? And we talked about, do you remember when when Tanev scored in overtime uh, against the Wild, eliminate the Wild? Um, how happy the room was after. Yeah, they were going nuts. And like and it was like, this team is coming together. But then they started losing. And Tanev, and, and and, they, and Tanev left. Well, <laughs> they, yeah, they, and they, they lost some of those team guys. up in the offseason. Yeah, and they lost. This team that had incredible chemistry. and then, They did have a good, good thing going. But I think what happened was those guys showed up the next season and they were like, yeah, this group doesn't look the same. Like, what what's going on yeah, here? Splitting There's those a, guys up hurt them, and they never they never were able to recover that good feeling. And the pandemic made things even worse with the all Canadian se- uh, division season, which was just miserable. And that feeling that that they, that feeling carried over into the beginning of last season, and really um, didn't go away until there were some changes in the coaching department and the management department. And the hope this year is that they can build on what happened last season and bring that good feeling into this season. So kind of like an opposite of yeah. last season, they need to do it. And they did bring the band back. As a matter of fact, there were no major departures from last year. Anyway, we talk. it's funny when you look at it, we've talked about uh, the largely quiet off season and not the fundamental changes that we expected we've positioned it one way. The other way could be like, we think that there's something here. Let's go explore it and see if there's going to be even more. And then offering and issuing the challenges. That's where the internal improvement comes from. Every team needs it in an off season. What are you going to do to get better? What are you going to do to get better? We don't want you coming back as the exact same player with the exact same output and the exact same role. Yeah. Everyone's got to grow, right? Then you say, we've added Mikhaev. They can make us faster. Kuzmenko, who knows what he's going to bring. We brought in a fourth-line center that can kill penalties. So it's the two types of additions, and that's maybe where you get some positive vibes moving forward. But, again, all of it gets undermined if they go out on the road to start the season. <laughs> four or five. Yeah, right? totally. Right? All the great vibes of building up the, the preseason and the culture. That can go out the window real quick. But we had such a good training camp. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're all together. Everyone passed the bike test. Why aren't we winning games? Like That's going to be a potential conversation because at the end of the day, all they care about is wins and losses. I yeah. know that there go a lot more goes into it, but if you talk to any head coach, it was funny. I was watching, but you believe in the idea of culture, right? I do, obviously, but I just think that it's it's so fragile, so fragile. Because a good I th- culture shouldn't be all that fragile, though. Yeah, I know, but in a, in a league where you're kind of defined by what's on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. that's it. It's it's, a, it, it's it's funny. We're getting a very existential conversation. But here. don't you think it's very of the- cut and dry? When at the end of the night, what who's done better? Like coaches could say, we deserved a better result tonight, but you didn't. But don't, you didn't get it. <laughs> but don't you think that okay? You know how we've been waiting for teams like Pittsburgh and Washington and Boston to fall off for years now. Yep. Don't you think that part of the reason why they haven't is, first of all, they've got Hall of Fame players. You know, you've that seen helps. Ovechkin in, in, in Washington, you know, Bergeron and in, in Boston, et cetera, et cetera, like Sydney, Sydney Crosby in Pittsburgh. But don't you think part of it, um, their success is that they do have that culture and there is a level of expectation? Yeah. And I also think uh, groups that have been together for a long time as well. But right? the There's but the group their identity the, is winning. But but the group has changed so much. Okay, the core parts of the group. So like Pittsburgh is the big three: Crosby, Lang, Malkin. Yeah. Uh, Washington is Backstrom, Kuznets. I mean, 
to consider Kuznetsov well, a culture guard. Anyway, Ovechkin, the guy Carlson, yeah. John Carlson, yeah. right? And then um, you look at Boston, and it's Bergeron, Marshawn, and more recently Krejci and Winchar was there. But those are probably what we would consider the culture setters for those respective mm-hmm. groups, right? Everyone falls in but line. But that culture is set. That, that culture is passed on yeah. too. To other guys, sure. And, and that was that was the that what happened in Vancouver is the culture from the Sedins was not passed on. Well, look at San Jose; had a great leadership group there for a while, right? They had three quality veteran guys in Marlowe, Pavelski, and Thornton, but there was never anyone to take the mantle from them. Like and was, there was losing though, right? And there was kind of Logan Couture, and then maybe Thomas Hurdle, and then the Evander Kane thing happened. It can it can go. It's funny; it can fall apart real quickly. Um, we got a big final hour here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. More Canucks talk to come with Thomas Drance from The Athletic. Uh, Drance was doing work up in Penticton. He talked to Ken Holland. He talked to Kevin Sheveldayoff. Of course, he did a lot of Canucks stuff as well. We can get into all that. And then at 8.30, uh, we're going to do some what we learns. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Hashtag it WWL. And uh, get into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. One th- final thing before we go to break. I need to tell you that all of our Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up just got easier for modern suit and tuck sales, fashionable menswear, and same-day rentals. Same-day rentals. Visit them online at blackandlee.com. Drance and what we learned, that's all coming up in the final hour of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.